sure closely, but uh, I guess I need the exercise. Good morning. All right, take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 16. Now, I have gloves with me. And the reason I have gloves with me, I have Renaud's phenomenon, that's a circulatory disorder, in which vocabularies are constricted too readily, and they make your fingers turn blue. I've had it since probably around 90, 1990. Anyway, so I may or may not put them on, okay? Please turn to Matthew, uh, chapter 16, and uh, I want to talk to you today uh, from chapter 16. Yeah, come in as best as saying, do whatever you want to do. Very good. That's right. That'll work. Uh, let there be light, and there was light. Okay? So, uh, I like that song, uh, last one I especially song, sang that said, uh, Do You Know Him? or something about Do You Know Jesus. And the title of my sermon is, Who is Jesus to You? So, and, and this is Matthew 16, so turn there, and I want to deal with verses. Uh, let's see, verse 16 through 20 looks like. I may go a little further if I have time. Now, I was told uh, that we usually quit about 11.45 or 12. Is that true? I assume that's true. All right, that's, uh, could be later, could be soon. Anyway, anyway. So, uh, we're speaking to you today on uh, who Jesus is, who you say Jesus is. So, I'm going to read verses 13 and following, Matthew 16. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ. Son of the living God. Verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18. And I also say unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, shall not prevail against it. 19. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. All right. Let's go through the same piece by piece. Uh, I am an expositor of Scripture, or teacher of the Scripture. And so... 95% of my sermons are that way. And so I simply take a passage and I deal with it in a historical, grammatical, contextual context and try to communicate to the people who are listening the truth of God's Word. What it says, and number two, what it means. Okay? So, in verse 13, he came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. That's in the north end of Palestine. I've been there and walked around there. How many of you have been to Palestine? Raise your hand. Okay, this is way in the north. It's called Bonias Springs now. And out of this big 
cave flows a river that's uh, probably almost as large, is two-thirds as large as this building is. And it's probably waist deep. I was there like a month or more. And uh, uh, that is one of the tributaries, the main tributaries, of the, that forms the Jordan River. Okay? So he took his disciples up there and got away from the crowd. Sometimes he didn't have time to eat. Okay? And he got away. Uh, Lee got away. That's good. He needs to get away once in a while. Okay? And so uh, he took them up there and uh, talked with them. And uh, he asked them the question. Verse, uh, verse 14. People then say that I was not a man. Verse 14. And so they, they knew the current events as far as people and so in verse 14, I'm, I'm holding my little mark here, so I don't know which verse it is. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, one of the prophets. In other words, one of the old prophets was risen and was walking around. And in fact, uh, Herod, uh, I think it was, was really perturbed because when, when John the Baptist brought him to the attention about his adultery with his brother Philip's wife, uh, he got really upset and was afraid to kill John until his wife got involved. Anyway, and so he said, when Jesus came on the scene, he thought Jesus was John the Baptist who gave him the vision. Okay? So some of the people thought that. But verse 15, then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now that is the critical question and the question is every human being should Ruminate over, to use an old word, the cows here in the church, to ruminate over and ponder and think about and ask, who is Jesus? Now, Jesus was a baby in the manger. He is not there now. He was the Son of God, the Lamb of God, God in the flesh, hanging on the cross on a hill in Palestine. He is not hanging there. He was in a tomb for a while. He came out and walked around 40 days upon this little planet, and then he ascended into the heavens, Acts chapter 1, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. They call that the session of the kingdom. Okay. So, so when you start reading Revelation, that is the last revelation of Scripture from God the Father to the planet. And in chapter 1 of Revelation, uh, you see Jesus walking among the seven candlesticks. And it explains what they are. The candlesticks of the churches and the little flame on top of the stars are the pastors or the preachers or the messengers, really, to the churches, the messengers of God to the churches. Okay? And you see him walking around dressed as a king priest or as a priest king. And so that's where he is now. He is ministering among the churches and rebuking the churches, encouraging the churches, letting them know what's down the road, and so on. So, who do you say that I am? Verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, the word Christ, is an interesting word. Now, if I meander around up here, I'm assuming Taylor is right. Taylor. Taylor is in my Greek class. And 
Mother is Lord. That's joy. Where's joy? Good. Very good. I thought it was joy. But you started to doubt his joy. That's good. Anyway, if I meander around up here, he's going to take care of it, all right? If it doesn't work, you come up here and adjust me, okay? All right. So this word Christ, what does that word mean? <coughs> it's now used almost as a proper name. A name you give your baby or whatever. Does anybody know for a fact what the word must die in Christ? That's why it's so Yeshiach. Nobody understands Hebrew probably. So Messiah or the Greek Christos. Okay. Who knows what that word really means? Raise your hand. What does it mean? That's right. Good. The anointed. A-N-O-I-N-T-E-D. The anointed one. Now, who can tell me in the Old Testament uh, what offices were anointed? Here's a little red cup here. Can't. Not mine, but it's somebody. So, what offices in the Old Testament were anointed? Let's hear them. Anybody? King, what else? Prophet, what else? Oh, amazing! Prophet, priest, king. That's right. Now, David was an anointed king. Samuel and the others and Elijah and so on were anointed prophets. And they were anointed priests. Eli, well, Eli was a prophet. Levi and a bunch of others. Anyway, so Christ came as the supremely anointed prophet, priest, and king. He is. You need to write that down if you don't know that. Christ equals the anointed one. Three words. Christ equals the anointed one. Okay? So, so Christ came as the anointed prophet. He came as the supremely anointed priest. And he came as the supremely anointed king. Okay? Now, so what does it mean, Christ came as one? The word prophet is the word in the Old Testament, it is Navi, and an earlier word, Roeh. How about that? I've never thought, I haven't thought about that in years. Anyway, the Old Testament word for prophet is Roeh. That's the ancient word. And the more modern Hebrew word, modern by I mean, but it's kind of classical, is uh, Navi. Okay, but anyway, the word Prophetes in the New Testament means Pro is for or forward. One who speaks forth the truth of God authoritatively in the name of God the Father. Got it? The prophetes, not a fake prophet, but a real one, is one who speaks forth God's truth in the name of God the Father. Okay? So, he came as a prophet. So, he spoke God's truth to the planet. He was the supreme prophet. And the soul that ignores him and rejects him will perish. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said. No one comes unto the Father except by me. Okay? He came and spoke with finality. The prophet came along and preached. The New Testament prophets, apostles, came along and preached 
epistles were written to explain what his death, life and death, and resurrection, ascension, ascension, what it means to this planet and to these people walking around on this planet. So, if you acknowledge that Christ speaks to you, God's truth, and it applies to your life, you're ready to yield yourself and say, I embrace that truth. I don't just think about it like James says, go off and get what I read. I'll try it to my life. If that's your attitude, then you have acknowledged him as a prophet. If you don't do that, you have not even acknowledged him as a prophet. You're just not a part of talking and you're going to ignore him. Okay? That's fine. The word Messiah, the word Mashiach, the word Christos, I just read out of the text there, means the anointed prophet. What else does it mean? The anointed priest. I've heard of all the Levi's priests, a bunch of other Aaron's priests. Well, Aaron's priests. Uh, not Levi, Aaron's priests. So, there's a bunch of priests in the Old Testament. And so, what does the priest do? Anybody want to tell me? What the priest does? Raise your hand. What's his main job? Anybody? What is it? I didn't hear you. His main job is to offer sacrifice for sin. Okay? What else does he do? Well, he intercedes. What else does he do? He does some teaching. Okay? But his main job is to offer sacrifice for sin. So that's the one I want to zero in on. So, when Christ came, he came as a priest, as the epitome of a priest, the final, supreme example, priest of God. Okay? Thank you, Mark. And so, what does it mean if you acknowledge Christ as a priest? that you acknowledge that when Christ came and offered the, himself on the cross for your sins and for mine, that he offered the one and only sufficient eternal sacrifice for sin which satisfies the justice and the wrath of Almighty God. His death on the cross did that. Now, if you say, well, it's just on the cross, plus my baptism, plus my teaching Sunday school, plus my preaching, plus my teaching Greek and Hebrew, plus a bunch of other stuff, playing the piano, whatever. That's going to get me in. No, that's not going to get you in. His sacrifice on the cross, and that alone is going to atone for your sin. Okay? And if you don't realize that yet, you have not and are not ready to embrace him as Messiah. Because that's a prophet, that is a priest. Okay? So Christ was not only the sacrifice, he was not only the officiating high priest alongside the altar, like all the others were in the Old Testament, but he was also the sacrifice lying upon the altar. He sacrificed himself. So, when he died on the 
called and said, but tell us, Tom. working it, I'm just trying it, it's just me to me. I yield my spirit to Him, Lord of God. I have glorified the Father on earth, He said, by, pardon for me, having finished the work which you gave me to do. That's the way you glorify God. You do what He told you to do. Okay? That's what you do. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken. Listen to God. Turn the flat of rounds. Remember that? I think that's probably first thing in chapter 15. Okay? So anyway, Christ is the priest. His one and only sufficient sacrifice for sin is all that God sends. The word Messiah here, thou art the Christ. Old Peter blurted it out. By the way, uh, Andrew and, and Peter was there earlier. In fact, John chapter 1 says, says that, you know, Andrew found Peter and took the other thing. And uh, they said about that in John chapter 1, which is earlier than Matthew 16. They said, you're the Christ. We have found the Christ. And one of them said, can anything good come out of Galilee? And the other fellow said, well, come and see. Okay. All right, so prophet and priest who dealt with. The third ingredient in this is king. K-I-N-G, king. He is a prophet, he is a priest, and he is king. And he has set up a kingdom. Okay? You say, I didn't know about that. Well, I'm going to tell you about it. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, you need to write down this verse. It says, Paul says, Christ, God has transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love, or into the kingdom of His beloved Son. It says, we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness. That's the kingdom of Satan. And we've already been drawn into the kingdom of His Son. When we embrace Christ, we don't, like I told the Lord, go down the floor before the I pick out two or three things and I, I go and ignore the rest. When we embrace Christ, He's risen. He's living. We embrace a person. That hasn't dawned on a lot of people who are sitting in this seat. You're dealing with a living, risen, reigning person. And that person is king. He's master. He's Lord. And when you come into His kingdom, you submit to a king. Some of you don't know that. I used to preach over in Eastern Kentucky. I haven't for a while. But in some of those old dead stage churches, and a lot of other churches are the same way now. Okay? But sometimes when I would preach and, and have to be preaching on this, I would... And, and I would say, when you come into the kingdom of our Lord, 
kingdom is love. There's one king in any kingdom. And the rest are subjects. The Secretary of State is a subject. The commanding general is a subject of that king. Okay? You, my friend, are a subject of the Lord Jesus. And I used to say to those people, I would leave it, and I would say, you bow the knee to Christ, and you say, yes, Lord. You say, yes, Lord. I'm not entering a democratic club. I am entering a kingdom, my friend, and you will bow the knee to Christ, and you will not be in his kingdom. I'm telling you, my friend, you will spit hell wide open if Christ does not become your king and your Lord. Okay? That's why the church is in the mess it's in today. People come and they say, I want a kingdom, but I don't want a king. Okay? I want the church, but I don't want a Lord. Write down this reference. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, Jesus as Lord, or the Lord Jesus, the text means Jesus as Lord. You had a choice in those days. You could say, Kurios, Jesus, Jesus Lord. Or you could say, Kaisar, Kaisar, English people say Kaiser. But it's Kaisar, that's the Greek word for the emperor, Caesar. You could say, Kaisar, Kurios, the choice to say, Jesus, that's Jesus. Jesus, Kurios. Now, what I'm telling you is this. I'm 78 years old. I'm finished tickling people's ears. I'm going to face Jesus soon, and I'm going to give an account to Him for every word I preached when I stood before people. And I've been aware of that for at least 50 years. And I've told my preachers, and I've taught many preachers. I've told them, pardon me? I've reminded them of what James chapter 3 says. James chapter 3 says, Don't many of you become teachers? You say, I didn't know that. I better just start reading the Bible. Don't many of you become teachers? Because, James chapter 3, we will face the greater scrutiny on the day of judgment. Why? Because we've led a bunch of people astray. Or we've refused to tell them the truth. And they've meandered through life. They haven't found Christ. There's no joy and peace in their hearts. And they face judgment. And they say, Lord, we need a bunch of things for you. And what are you telling me? He said, Depart from me. I never knew you. Remember those words from Matthew chapter 7? Many people will hear those words. I don't, be, I don't want to be accountable for leaving people to hear those words at the end of life. I am telling them now, and I've told them for many years. How many of you ever heard this? Who was that old preacher, Southern Baptist preacher from North Carolina? I'm thinking his name was Brown, I guess. Anyway, I'll get back. I'll get back. What? Vance Havner, yeah, who said that? Yeah, that's good. Old Vance Havner, he was a good preacher. He spoke truth. I 
was in a huge Baptist church up in Southern Baptist long before I was ever saved. I was in a huge Baptist church in Tampa, Florida. I forgot the name of it now. And old Vance Havner was preaching. And this is whenever the high school church was in Tampa. Anyway, he was preaching. And he used to give an invitation this way. He would preach Christ as Lord. And he would then say to you, how many of you are willing and ready to stand up and announce, I embrace him as my Lord. Okay? That's what he used to do. Has any of you ever been in that service where he did that? How about that? Glad you fellow have it. Anyway. So, what I'm saying is this. That God loves us. He loves this planet. He gives us all we've got. The air we breathe. Heartbeat we feel. The water we drink and everything else. And everything we have is here. And he wants the best for our lives. He wants to forgive us and let us have joy and peace in our hearts. And he sent the burden off of our lives. But we can't have it both ways, partner. Okay? Human beings were made for one supreme loyalty. Okay? When I and my wife, we've been married 58 years. I started dating when she was 14. We got married when she was 20, she was 17, I was 22, 17. And if I recall correctly, I said to her before that night, Honey, I want you to know up front that you will never be first in my life. And she was in her heart, Lord, think about that. And I said, I may be second, Satan. But I assume, honey, that I will never be first she's really confused. What's the point I was getting across there? That Christ must be Lord in our hearts and lives. We were married 58 years. We have six children and 19 grandchildren. All the children are college graduates and either teachers or college professors or accountants. The, the little grandchildren, 10 of them roughly, are boys, 10 girls, and I was one boys, and roughly six of them are normal. saying that, God wants the best for our lives, okay? And uh, I talked to one daughter last night. She's 43. She's my youngest daughter. Isn't that terrible? I mean, good, you're terribly old. And, and my oldest one, I think, is 54. I don't know how old she is. Afraid to ask her. Anyway, I talked to my youngest daughter last night. He's a school teacher in Oklahoma. And uh, we were talking about her, and I said, Honey, you know, the Lord wants the best for us in our lives and our marriage and everything else. And so, but we can't get that through our thick heads. We're too smart, we think. Okay? But God says that, and I've said to many people, many pastors, that Christianity is really pretty simple. Christianity is really simple. If you ask Jesus about the greatest commandment, he said the greatest commandment is, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all the heart, soul, mind, strength. And the second is like it. I shall love the neighbor as myself. Now, he was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm putting my fingers in here to get them uh, He was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. Okay? And he basically said, Love God. I mean, that's the command. Okay? Shema. That's all that is. Read the word. Shema. Uh, 
hundreds of years. And so then we notice what he says. To the Son of the living God, that's the one unique Son of God. God come in the flesh, said Paul, reconciling the world to himself. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon and Simon Jonah Barjona, uh, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, old Peter could have felt, oh, I'm pretty important now. God got to hang it out. And Jesus sort of poured water on him immediately. He said, now, hold on, Peter. Don't get the big head. You didn't figure that thing out on your own. The Father in heaven revealed to you who I necessarily am. If you had not done that, you would never have known. Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Do you remember the verse? Haven't you remember that verse? Well, that's trouble if you don't remember it. All that the Father has given you, you need to start reading the Bible. That's John chapter 6. I'm going to stick to truth. I'm, I've been a Marine Corps chaplain long enough. You speak the truth to people. I don't care if it's the president, an admiral, a general, whoever he is. He's a creature who walks on two legs on this planet. He needs to hear God's truth. Okay? So, anyway, in John chapter 6, also, Jesus had done a few miracles, fed a few people, and they came by force from the going to make him king. That's John chapter 6, verse 15. How many of you remember that verse? Raise your hand. You people need to start reading God's Word. I'm telling you. I'm not kidding you. You need to start reading God's Word. Okay? You will never have the strength to endure what's coming down the road unless you start reading God's truth. Okay? That is a fact, partner. I've preached to enough people. In my life, in 78 years, I started when I was like 20. I've preached to enough people. I know what's going on. I know what's going on. An old man, probably 20, 30 years ago now, probably 46, said, I see on the horizon a group of church attendees who are willing to praise God, but they are not willing to obey God. Okay? They're willing to praise God, but they're not willing to obey God. Okay? You bow your knee and say, you're Lord and I'm not. Okay? If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, Jesus, as your Lord, you'll be saved. And the Holy Spirit will come into your life. When you surrender to God, the Holy Spirit enters your life. Okay? And you have the strength to live for God. Okay? That's the way it works. Okay? Now, today, I have in my briefcase in the car, uh, I summarize many books for my students. They don't read as much as they should. I don't know what they But I summarize many books for them and pass it out to them, 16 pages or 2 pages or whatever. I summarize the book for them. I have a book in the car, and some of you may have read it. Uh, Dave Kinnaman, there he is, Kinnaman. I didn't think about talking about this today. Dave Kinnaman, called Unchristian, What the World Thinks About the Church. Unchristian, it's a black book. How many of you have read the book? Raise your hand. Well, you need to at least 
truths, we can think about it. What he's done in that, he has set up statistics about the difference between the church-going people and the pagans. And he says there's no difference. He says their conduct, their actions, their divorce rate, their faithfulness, there's no distinguishing characteristic between that group and the world. That is terrible. That's the truth. And the reason is, they have never submitted their lives to Christ. And they've never said, Lord, come into my heart and change me and make me what you want me to be. They've never done that. Because that's foreign to them. They've never heard you're supposed to. Okay? Anyway, so, it says, uh, oh yeah, Peter, uh, you didn't figure this out on your own. But God revealed that to you. And only the Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit can show a human being who Jesus truly is. Okay? He convicts of sin. When the Spirit comes, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Judgment is coming. And so, He does that. That's why it's a sin to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That's why it's an unpardonable sin to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Here's what that means. When you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, He says, I understand all you said, but I'm telling the Holy Spirit that you are lying to me. Jesus is not the real Christ. He's something else. He's not what I want him to be. He doesn't give me wealth and prosperity and all that. And so I've rejected him. And so you're trying to tell me that he's the real Messiah. And I'm saying to you, Holy Spirit, that you're a liar. That's basically what you're doing. Now, why is that the unpardonable sin? Come on, raise your hand and tell me. Raise it. There is a very logical answer. Here's the logical answer. The answer is that He and He alone, Holy Spirit, truly convicts a human being of his sin. Grandma doesn't. Pastor doesn't. Aunt Susie doesn't. He does. And if you reject Him and tell Him He is a liar, then you're hopeless. He'll leave you alone. And you will never be convinced of who Jesus is. Okay, that is the way it works. Okay? Anyway, he says, Peter, uh, the Holy Spirit, God, God revealed that to you too. I'm going on down. Uh, my Father in heaven, verse 18. I also say to you that you are Peter, though Peter didn't know that, uh, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So, there Petros, you Greek students. It's the word Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S. Little rock. A rock that you build a, a building out of. On, you know, a rock. There Petros, there Peter. And upon this rock. That word there is just this rock. It's a, it's a feminine. Petros is masculine. It's Petra, it's feminine. And it, it means a big boulder or a shelf of rock. Now, I told you a while ago as they introduced the sermon, they were at Bania Springs, Caesarea Philippi, on looking at the rock. And so, there's this big shelf of rock there, a cave, out of which flows this river. And so, I, I know all the interpretations of that, and I won't, I, 
I'm convinced it means this. Upon this rock of your profession that you just blurted out, Peter, out of your mouth came the truth. Because God has revealed it to you. And you blurted out, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the rock on which I, Christ, will build my church. Now, what, what relevance does that have for you and me today? Here's the relevance. Christ builds His true church, and their lives will change, and they will be grieved when they sin against God. Okay? Like old Peter sinned against God, he went out and rubbed in. A born-again Christian, he cannot walk in sin and be okay with it. He cannot live in immorality and in drunkenness and in drugs and in deception and so and so. Why? The Holy Spirit, if he's truly born again, lives in that man. Okay? And he, First John, if you don't believe that, read the book of First John all the way through. Five little chapters. Okay? And so, he will be grieved. And, and John says he cannot continue in sin because he has been born of God. First John tells you that specifically. Tells you why he can't live in sin. And you, if you look out here at the mud puddles and you see five little creatures out there wallowing in the mud, you say, oh, those five creatures have a nice time. You walk a little closer and one of them goes, <laughs> What in the world is that? You say to your buddy, and watch that time. <laughs> Man, there's something going on here. But one of those things is not a tree. That thing is a tree. You walk a little closer. Yeah, the little fat, dumb thing. He was messing around where he shouldn't have been. He slipped and fell in his ditch. He's going under a time or two. He looks as muddy as the rest of them. But he is not a happy camper. Okay? And he never will be a happy camper. And he won't stay in that thing very long either. That's exactly what First John is teaching you. You need to read every word of First John. Okay? Well, I'll talk on that enough. Let's keep going. We don't need to read Okay, it says, You are Peter, and upon this rock, and I know some take it to be Peter, some various things. Some say it's Jesus, and, and he is called the rock and the foundation. And the apostles are also called the foundation. But I take it that I'm saying, Peter, you're a rock, and upon this big rock, so to speak, your profession of faith and who I truly am, upon that truth, I will build my congregational people, my church. And he's still doing that. He's building his genuine church out of those who acknowledge him as Messiah, as prophet, as priest, and as king. That is the people he's building his true church out of. I'm telling you, partner. And that church will withstand the test of time. And the word church, I don't mean a building. The church is born again people. Okay? So upon this rock, I'll build my church. And then the gate of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I'm well aware of all the interpretations of that. Here's the way I take the word Hades, 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 to hell. Write this, write this down. Write down. Psalm 127. Psalm 127. It's only like six or eight verses. It talks about children being an arrow and it's heaven and pulled out and shoot them, and they accomplish what they should. And it says, 
they, the children who were brought up right and turned out to be like they ought to be, it says, they will speak with their enemies in the gate. Singular, the gate of the city. What does that have to do with this? Well, the gate of the ancient city was the courtroom, so to speak, the courthouse. That's where they conducted court. That's where they interrogated people who wanted to come into the city, spell them where from Egypt, from Babylon, or wherever. And they interrogated you in the gate and said, what are you here about? Well, I'm here to bring these children blankets from, from uh, Syria or Egypt, whatever. Good. And do you have touch those blankets a bunch of idols you brought out of Egypt trying to propagate that stuff in our, in our midst? You interrogate them and find out what they're there about. Okay? So anyway, what I'm convinced this is saying is this. It's saying the stratagem or the strategy of hell with all of its minions and all of its sophisticated people forced trying to destroy Christ's church will never succeed. Okay? All their plans, all their programs to destroy the church, all their educational institutions, okay? Whatever it is, they will never prevail to stay in Jesus against Christ's why won't they? Because Christ's Spirit, the Holy Spirit is Christ's Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, all those are synonymous terms. Okay? Christ breathed on his disciples and received through the Holy Spirit. Anyway, so he is saying that Christ's church will stand the test of time. Okay? Out of any congregation, most of the people in any congregation are really not born again. That is a fact. But there are born again people almost in every congregation. You look in Europe now, the big cathedrals, they seat 6,000, 8,000. How many people are there? And they're all 80,000 years old. Christianity is dying out coming from Europe. Christianity advanced westward and it died out coming westward right behind it. Paul established two churches. 100 and 200 years later, they were dying out. It became popular and everybody accepted it. And uh, so, that's the way it was. All right, the next verse there says, And the gate prayed not prevailed against it. Verse 19. And I will give unto you the singular, according to Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth, throw it down on heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, have it loose on earth. Well, I don't know how your Bibles translate this, but I can tell you how it, what the Greek says. It says, what Peter, whatever you shall bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. How many of your Bibles read that way? Raise your hand. Amazing. Anybody else? Amazing. Anybody else? Shall have been bound in heaven. Is that for you Greek students? That is a perfect paraphrastic. Okay? That is a future perfect paraphrastic fancy term, Greek term. And what it means is this. Peter, when you declare something binding, it will have already been declared binding by God the Father before the world began. And you, Peter, have just sensed the truth of that because you sense the truth about who the Messiah is. You, you will sense the truth of that 
And you will say, well, that's not forbidden. God forbids that. That doesn't mean you, Peter, made it forbidden. Does everybody follow what I'm saying? It means that God determined that it was forbidden. And Peter has now sensed that. So God has revealed that to him. That's what it means. In the same way that Luther was written. So, so he says, I've given you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Well, what about that? What are the keys to the kingdom of heaven? Well, you can write this down. Write this down. Acts chapter 2, I guess, probably like 36 for you. I'm guessing the verses. Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter preached the kingdom of heaven. And uh, also write this down while I'm thinking about it. Write down uh, uh, Acts chapter 1, probably verse 3. Acts 1, verse 3. Where it says, Jews rose, walked around 40 days on the earth, and taught about the kingdom of God. Does that sound strange? Well, we're not going to get that notion. So why are you still talking about the kingdom? Well, because Christ established a spiritual kingdom while he was here. Okay? And Peter, you will have the keys, notice what it says, to the kingdom, to let people into the kingdom of heaven. That's what the first thing is. Whether you like that or not. And so, how did Peter use the keys? How does anybody use the keys? He used the keys by preaching the truth of God about the kingdom and who Christ is and that he is king and that there is a kingdom and they can get in it. How in the world can they get in it? By acknowledging him as their prophet, their priest, their king. Now he did that, Peter did that, for the first time in Acts chapter 2. That is what that means. Okay? I'm accountable on the day of judgment when I stand before my God and King, the Lord Jesus. And I will tell him, Lord Jesus, that is precisely what I told him. Because that is precisely what God has said, your Father has said, and you've said, and I am not a coward. I will preach God's truth. And lives will be changed. It will happen. How do I know it will? Paul says in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, the genuine gospel, is the power which God uses to change lives. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto resulting in salvation to all who believe, who truly believe. The word believe doesn't mean intellectually to accept something. It means to submit your life to Christ. You want that out of the dictionary? Come to my Greek class Tuesday night and I'll open the dictionary and show you. Okay? So anyway, Peter used the keys. Now, here's another verse that came to my mind. Acts chapter... Acts chapter 8. Probably verse 12, I'm guessing. I think I, I, think I wrote it down. Uh, anyway... Acts chapter 8, it says that Philip went down to Samaria and preached the kingdom. Well, wait a minute, Peter. Christ died and all is going back to heaven. And you're still preaching the kingdom? And when Christ walked around on the earth 40 days, he was still talking about the kingdom. Okay? Then 
therefore, I suggest you this. I suggest you get three sheets of notebook paper. That's all you need, two. Two sheets of notebook paper, paper, and you read through the book of Acts, beginning to end. And every time Paul stands up to preach, you write down what the fellow says. He preaches, gets you in the book. You say, I didn't know that. You're not reading carefully the book of Acts. You're only the rest of the New Testament. You need to write down this verse. Write down Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, and it's mentioned a couple of times there. One is the last three verses of the book of Acts. And the other one is about six verses before the last three. Okay? So Acts chapter 28, read the whole thing. And you'll find this. It says that Paul now, he's coming to the end of his life. Paul is coming to the end of his life. And he is still preaching the kingdom. Well, Paul, you're a slow learner, man. Don't you know that you're supposed to be preaching the church? You've written many epistles explaining what Christ did and that he loves the church and so on. Yes, that's true. That's wonderful. But you don't go out and preach the church saying, get in the church. You preach the kingdom. And when people submit their lives to Christ the King, the prophet, the priest, the King, then you say to them, hey, pardon, you're a new creature. You're now in Christ's kingdom. Your sins are forgiven. Holy Spirit lives in your life. You will endure, partner. You will endure. Because greater is he is in you than he is in the world. And so Paul, it says he lived three years in his own hired house, the old kingdom, or his own rented apartment, or however you want to translate that. Preaching the kingdom of God, no man hindering, or no man forbidding. That should fascinate you, my friend. That should fascinate you. That Paul, that's why he could face anything in life. He knew that God loved him, that he was born again, that heaven was his home. And he knew, like Christ said, a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Paul told some of them in 1 Corinthians, which sounds totally crazy to you, and to most of us of us even here. He says, in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, if you're a slave, don't worry about it. Telling you if I'm a slave to a Roman master, not to worry about it? That's exactly what I'm telling you, boy. Why can't you tell me that, Paul, without you yourself being crazy? And then he says the next verse or two, he says, If you're free, don't gloat over it. You're Christ's slave. What kind of double talk is that, Paul? What he's saying is anybody who is truly born again has become Christ's slave or Christ's servant. That's what he's teaching. Okay? So anyway, Paul lived uh, there in his own rented apartment or hired house in the back three years and preaches the kingdom of God. No man forbid him. There wasn't any way they could forbid him if he was going to preach God's truth, God's truth, at the cost of his life. 
come ahead of but you can't stop me preaching as long as I'm breathing. And so that's why you do And lives are changed. And that's why lives are changed to glory. If anyone truly comes to Christ and says, I'm finished fighting, I give up. I was waiting for chapter two years. Maybe chapter two years. I know what it is to surrender my business. And I, I told young Marines, in fact, I could bring you what I wrote out to the young Marines, the old Marines, generals, anybody else. If they want to come to Christ, I have the same written out. And they signed it and gave it. And I vowed to leave Christ. And I knew it. And I intend to do what he commands. He forgive what he did. Avoid what he forgives. Anyway, let's see how many more verses we got here. Uh, I've got 10 minutes to go. So let's see down there. Jesus became of heaven and lives and so on. All right, verse, nine, verse 20. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. Uh, now, somebody raise their hand tell me. Why in the world did he tell them that? Raise your hand, tell me. He just got through praising Peter for acknowledging who he was, and then he told him, Don't you guys tell anybody that I'm the Christ? I'll tell you what. What? That's, that's correct. You got it basically correct. But what I'm saying is this you need to write this down to understand what I'm going to say. You need to write down John chapter 6, verse 15, which I've already given you. He was saying this. He said, you know, if you go out right now and tell it, because I'm not going to the cross yet. And I've got to go to the cross. And I've got to rise to stand. And so, I don't want to preempt or step in before I accomplish the Father's work, which means crucifixion. And so, wait till that's over, and then tell the world. So that's why I told him. All right. Well, I think I've uh, I've uh, I've reached out with these verses. So uh, does anybody have a question? No, we don't ask questions. But I'm a teacher, and I've taught classes in about 800 in one class, and some about three in one class. Okay. So anybody have a question? Do you know the answer? I'll tell you. Okay. All right. Let's close in prayer. So, our Father and our God, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. You're King of Kings, you're Lord of Lords. You love us. You've given your life to redeem us. You'll come again to bring us home to be with you. We ask, Lord, that you may minister this message to every life in this room. Accomplish your will. Praise you and thank you. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Now we'll turn it back over to 